When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Douglas Maurice, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko, we're diving in on a Browns play from the 2020 season to tell you about the 2021 season. This is the fourth time we've done this on Gotta Watch the Tape. That means Ellis Williams is up with a play. And Ellis, I'm reading the breakdown. You know, we have plans here. We do things ahead of time. You send out what what the play is and kind of the points you're going to make. And I feel like so far, you know, Miles Garrett, hey, Miles Garrett, he's so good. OBJ, hey, OBJ, he's so helpful to the team. Donovan Peoples-Jones and 13 personnel. Hey, 13 personnel. Is this one is positive? Is this all good? Or is this a little bit like, oh, they got some stuff to learn from this one, Ellis? Good, bad, and the ugly, Doug, Scott. That's what we're, we're gearing up for. And it, it tell, it's really going to be a conversation about sub-packaging, what it means for the Browns, what it did mean for the Browns in 2020, and how we can project that forward. That's what we do and got to watch the tape, right? I mean, this that is what we do. And I think it, the, the thing here is, again, we are using sort of plays and players to talk a lot about coaching and strategy. And that this is going to be a lot about Joe Woods. And we're going to do it through the lens of a player in a play. So instead of me blathering about it, let's dive right in. We appreciate you guys joining us. Ellis Williams, dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. All right. As Doug's set up, we're looking at Ronnie Harrison's week five interception return touchdown against Phillip Rivers and the Indianapolis Colts. It was one of two defensive touchdowns for the Browns in 2020. This play was both Ronnie's coming out party and probably his best game of the year all at the same time, he played only 24 snaps between weeks one and four before playing 37 against the Colts. Uh, that was about 70% of snaps. And then he followed that up in consecutive weeks going 80% of snaps, 90% of snaps, and then 100 again in those next three weeks uh, before injuries, COVID lists, and just the, the, the turbulent year that was Ronnie Harrison's. Um, kept him out really from week 10 until a, a brief playoff run there and. You know, give him some true serum. Perhaps if the locker rooms were open, we were able to talk to him some more. I think we would have got some truth about just how challenging this season was for Ronnie. Um, not to jump to the end here, but we, it's pretty clear that he will be a future component to this defense. He he really had a nice season despite uh, what his uh, unavailability says. When he was on the field, he was one of the Browns' better defensive players, and that's exactly why we're talking about this play because uh, ultimately it, it swung the game against the Colts team that, you know, we probably don't talk about enough about this game and how big of a win it was uh, p- future playoff standings implications already in week five and the Colts, uh, a team I know I'm high on. I know Doug isn't Scott. I'm curious to see maybe where you th- what you think about the Colts uh, just in general. It's a team I really respect uh, both offensively and defensively. They've built a great roster, which again, highlights how important this play is and what it tells us. Uh, but this dive isn't about Ronnie Harrison, like I said. It's about Harrison and the other DBs being on the field at the same time and what it says about the Browns. Any comments? I, I, you, I, yeah, I'm go ahead. Jump in. I, I, I'm yeah. excited. You know why I'm excited about this play? Because it's an interception by a Colts quarterback. And we're going to see so 
many of them in 2021. This one is old creaky Phillip Rivers, but man, Carson Wentz, I got him for like 25 picks in 2021. So I'm jacked to look at Colts quarterbacks getting picked up. Scott, can you feel the vibe? You know, the Colts, I thought the Colts were going to be good before they got Carson Wentz. The only question was, what are they going to do about quarterback? And now that they have Carson Wentz, the only question I have is what they could do about quarterback. So, hey, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because I, I mean, but it's good. The thing, I mean, Ellis, as we dive into this, as you dive into this, Phillip Rivers looks old and creaky on this play and the Browns look young and nimble and smart and flexible. And it looks like, I mean, for a defense Ellis that over time, you know, many times this year in 2020 had trouble, right? You look at them, you look at individual play and you're like, well, they didn't win that play. They won this play and they looked, they looked competent. And like one of those plays every now and then Ellis, you know, this, you run a play in the NFL. It's like, I don't know how teams ever get yards. Everybody's covered. What are they supposed to do? And then sometimes it's the opposite. But this play, you really see the Browns execute. You do, Doug. And I'm glad you mentioned how Phillip Rivers looks in the pocket because when I recalled this play just uh, when it, in my memory before watching it and breaking it down, I thought, ah, oh, yeah, you know, he just kind of flung it towards the sidelines and a more athletic quarterback gets out of this. I'm curious to see after I break this play down what you guys think, but – I don't think really anyone gets out of this, this pocket. It collapsed on them. You either take a sack or throw this pick or, you know, throw it away is probably what you would have wanted grounding it. It's really just a perfect rep. And I, though Phillip rivers is immobile, I don't think Carson Wentz does any better here. And you guys know how I feel about even someone like Lamar Jackson. I don't know how much better he does here. It's just a, it's a great rep. So I've got a lot to say about this play. Uh, Doug Scott, feel free to start screaming. If I, if you guys want to interject or I'm just going to talk for like the next two, three, four minutes. Um, so let's just run this through. Okay. So setting the scene, the Browns are up 20 to 10, opening the third quarter. Uh, Colts get the ball to start the second half after earning a first down. They now face a third and four, just five plays into that first series of the second half, but they are near midfield. Indy lines up in 11 personnel. That's one running back, one tight end, and three wide receivers. Keep that in mind. That's what a large part of this conversation will be about. They're in a balanced bunch formation with two receivers to each side of their tackles. The running back is split out wide, but he's going to get motion in to help Rivers decode information. We've talked plenty on this podcast what that does, and of course the Browns aren't the only team in football that does it. On the motion, Ronnie Harrison rolls down from a, a top split safety into the box to defend the run or play the flats because now the Browns are tipping their hand and declaring that they're in cover three, a one-high safety look. The Browns are in a sub-package of their 4-3 base defense, meaning they have four defensive linemen down, but they don't have a third linebacker on the field. All they did was take a linebacker off and replace him with a slot corner and Kevin Johnson. It, it, it's a little cute. John, Johnson fakes a blitz off the edge, but the veteran Philip Rivers isn't phased by this at all. And I find that is just kind of a fun wrinkle. This is what I enjoy about doing this podcast in the offseason. You know, it's something you don't probably notice right away on the field. You don't talk about it in post game, and all of a sudden you see just the little tropes of of showmanship and chess that happen in football. It doesn't phase Philip Rivers at all, even though he's going to get the worst end of this rep. What actually causes the interception on this play is exactly what Doug was alluding to is the Browns ability to create pressure with four. The tight view does an excellent job at showing a stunt by miles Garrett at right end. And watch this, you guys, Adrian Claiborne in the three technique at defensive tackle. Is that a little JJ Watt tease? Uh, we could, we can maybe unpack that later, but the point is this is what alert. Watt alert and what alert. Get Mary Kay on the podcast. Watt. Alert. Okay. 
Sorry. I, just, in no. case, I don't want that to slip by anybody. It, it's, it's just it's just the truth because uh, Scott started this offseason deep dives by breaking down the Miles Garrett's play, and it's it's a great example of whether it's Garrett inside abusing a guard or Claiborne or Watt alert inside. This is the flexibility the Browns are looking for. They desperately, desperately crave and are clearly at their best when they can implement it. So back to the play. Claiborne at the three technique. At the snap, they loop. Garrett jackknifes inside, taking a double team. Shocker there. He had faced the third or fourth most in the league, depending on what metric you look at. Claiborne, getting around the edge, forces Philip Rivers to step up, probably prematurely. When he does, Garrett wins his double team. Yet another shocker. Only J.J. Watt won more double teams. By spinning out of it, and meanwhile, Sheldon Richardson, the opposite defensive tackle in the other three technique, remains active getting his hands in the passing lane and thus reducing the pocket. This forces a sideline throw that Rivers either thought was safe because he didn't see Ronnie Harrison drifting to the sideline. Perhaps he thought he would take the deep curl, which I'm going to get into why that would be in one second here. Or he was trying to throw it away and just didn't get enough on uh, under it. You guys, I went back and looked at the transcripts uh, for this game and what Philip Rivers had to say. And in classic Philip Rivers fashion, he was asked about the pick twice. All he said was that it killed him. And when asked about why it happened, he said it was a bad play. And that's all I'm going to give you guys. So, yeah. so with Philip Rivers not giving him much more to go off, either his arm shot or he made a terrible read. Um, either way, it doesn't change the result. Again, before I give you guys an opportunity to talk about this play, I want to highlight why this is truly one of the best defensive reps from the Browns. And it's all because of what the Colts run here again, third and four, got to have it down. You're down 20 to 10 first series of the first quarter or excuse me, the third quarter, they run a concept called mesh. And I know for the Colts haters on this podcast, Doug and Scott, I know you guys don't watch a lot of Colts offense, but this was a play that Indy really leaned on uh, later in the season and clearly it was something they were trying to install early and you can tell that the receivers didn't quite have the feel of it later on you can go watch uh, Titans games where Indy just shreds the Colts with this concept what mesh does is it kills teams because it's relatively safe versus either zone or man coverage mesh puts stress on the interior linebackers by crossing one receiver from each side on shallow crosses if it's man, they run free across the field. Think of a guy like T.Y. Hilton sprinting against a, a slot corner or a linebacker, God forbid. He's going to be wide open. If it's zone, they're taught to hook up and find the soft spot. Behind the mesh, you'll run a corner route or a deep curl to soften the underneath coverage. On this play, the deep curl on the left side of the top of the screen actually does open up a little bit. That's, you know, that's open in the NFL. This is a concept you could run 10 times a game and find an open guy on it. It's very frustrating to defend, but the Browns dominate this rep, you guys. They dominate it. It's the Colts bread and butter. You could kind of tell the Colts receivers weren't totally sound on their technique yet. They probably should have hitched up instead of keeping running the flats, but it doesn't change the fact that they got pressure with four, they used a stunt, and the coverage was flawless, and it ends in a defensive touchdown. Best rep of the season, or it's just recency bias. They look good, Scott. I mean, they look. This is an this is eleven defensive players and a coordinator working together because there there is as Ellis is saying, you know, there's a sliver. Maybe I mean, if Rivers rips that that curl on the top of the screen, I, I, maybe that guy's able to box out the defender a little bit and try to make a play. But that's it. Like they just they lock everything down on this play, Scott. Yeah, and I think it was kind of the right defensive reaction to the play call. Um, you know, 
I think Sandejo probably gets maybe a third of that interception because he kind of sits on one of the crossing routes and, you know, Phillip Rivers has to look somewhere else. And if he, if he throws out into the flat to his running back, that guy's going to get crushed by the time the ball gets there. It's just, there's really no good options here uh, after his first read is taken away. And yeah, throwing it away, I think is probably your best option. If you have a quarterback who isn't going to take off out of the pocket. And this is also, and again, I mean, this is just how football works. They're down 10. It's the second half. It's third and four. If he just throws it away, I mean, maybe they go for it. They're like kind of near midfield or maybe they punt it away. But also, you know, you're already down two scores. You're probably trying to make a play here, but it's like, hey, when the off, if this is, if the, if the Colts were ahead here, I don't think he throws this pick because he wouldn't push it as much, right? This is, hey, Baker, Nick, Jarvis, give this defense, which at times, you know, which often is not great, give a little lead and then let them get after it a little bit. But there's a lot here that this is like this team working in concert. But I think the thing that is the best, Ellis, and I know this is why you said you wanted to do this, is the 11 guys they have on the field. So it's a good call. They're, they're in zone. It's the right call to be in. What they run up front works but they got the 11 dudes on the field to make this work that at times this year, we talked a lot about linebackers. We talked a lot about safeties. You could look at the Browns and feel like they don't have the dudes. They've got seven, you know, but they don't have 11 dudes you can trust, but the 11 dudes here all did their job. And I, I mean, I like the look. And then the question is like, well, why did you do this more? But you'll answer that. Right. And that's that's really where this starts and stops is with the 11 guys on the field. We're just going to quickly break down the, the snaps, uh, season long snaps for the Browns and to figure out where both they were deploying the most common players and just simply where clearly Joe Woods felt the more comfortable. And that concludes us with a four two five essentially sub package, but it really was the Browns based defense. Of course, Miles Garrett at end, Sheldon Richardson, D tackle, Ogan Joby, a guy they're going to have to replace. Uh, at the other D tackle, the split of Vernon and Claiborne at the other end. Now this is the part where we're talking about BJ Goodson, 937 snaps, third most. This is a guy that just didn't come off the field. Um, and I don't really think injuries had a lot to do with it. For the most part, that was just as good as they were going to get from that linebacker spot. Um, you know, you're not going to run a four, seven defense with just four defensive linemen and seven defensive backs. Uh, I have theorized that maybe Joe Woods in a perfect world wants to run a four, one, six, just have one linebacker in there and deploy six defensive backs, having, having three be really Swiss army knives. But regardless, that keeps BJ Goodson on the field, obviously this year. And if he comes back, I'm not completely against having him be that mainstay linebacker for them he didn't he didn't uh, average job at times and then you know you you get exposed in coverage but that's what you get with bj goodson the the issues come at the parts around that so the next linebacker and the linebacker um that got the most reps after that malcolm smith 618 reps 11th most but then you got a, a really just a field of linebackers which again shows the browns desire to play those sub packages sony Taki 498 Mac Wilson, 390, Jacob Phillips, 244. So between Taki, Wilson, and Smith, you're kind of rotating there. And Phillips just had a disappointing season like a lot of rookie linebackers had this year. Uh, cornerbacks, Terrence Mitchell led the entire team in defensive snaps with 1,225. We've talked about that on this podcast before, but I think it always deserves mentioning. It's extremely impressive for a guy who was a little bit of an afterthought coming into the year. 
Uh, slot corner, Kevin Johnson, uh, 624 reps. The other guy, MJ Stewart, 342 reps. We saw uh, postseason stuff when the COVID lists were really making this defensive back field even more thin. BJ Stewart got a few starts. One of the safeties, Sandejo, second most reps, 999. We've talked about him enough on this podcast. Carl Joseph, 781 snaps, eighth most. The other one being Ronnie Harrison there, which says a lot about the turbulent year he had. And then, of course, Denzel Ward on the other side at 822. You can I, – I look, if we had data and information systems that could break down the Browns packages per by game, I would have liked to find – their best per- defensive performances and the, the tendencies of who's on the field for those packages. But by getting the season totals, you get a fair idea that this is what Joe Woods wants to run, right? This is it. And we have to operate under that assumption and conclude that's how they're going to build this team going forward and into the off season. So there's the, the, the four two five here is interesting. And again, it, in this moment, it does feel like they have the guys to do it, that this is Harrison coming into his own. Scott mentions and Dejo does what he's supposed to do as the single high safety. And then what? It's Ward Mitchell and Kevin Johnson as the corners, right? And Ronnie Harrison, you know, playing a guy up in his zone like a corner. I mean, this is this is one of those where, all right, well, you have Ward like him. You have Harrison like him. You have Terrence Mitchell. I think he could still work in somewhere if he's back. I don't know. But like if you upgrade with Delpit, maybe if you get greedy back, I mean, you can see, again, I was saying it feels like Scott on this play that they have the guys you need, but you also can see where they upgrade and you can see, right? I mean, Scott, we can see the world where the four, two, five desires, this goes a lot. This is, again, this is a personnel grouping stuff is great. 13 personnel last week when we did this, they matched the desire and they had the roster to do it. They had three tight ends. The way it worked out this year, they didn't maybe have the dudes to run four, two, five as much as they want. They had it on this play, but Scott, you can see how they can get there to do this even more often and more effectively. Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at who's on the field here. This is probably the best version of the Browns defense this season, especially on a, a third down pass play, right? Because Malcolm uh, Smith is your best coverage linebacker. You got Ronnie Harrison, who was your best coverage safety. You have your three best cornerbacks out there that was a rarity this yep. season um you know and Goodson while this was still I guess relatively early he did improve over the course of the season so from the back you know the back seven standpoint this is probably as good as you're going to get it really probably didn't matter whether you had Sandejo or Carl Joseph um playing behind or, or with Harrison it was this was probably the group so yeah when you look at it that way that really minimizes the amount of problem areas you're, you're pointing to so from that standpoint, you know, if they want to go with the with the five defensive backs, you know, you maybe you're taking that you're taking the Kevin Johnson role off the field a little more, maybe, and you're putting that extra safety out there in some situations. He couldn't really do that. Joe Woods couldn't really do that so much this season. Uh, it was really a lot of nickel corner versus like nickel safety, and right, I think right. he like a chance to to roll with that a little bit more next this coming season. Ellis, we know injuries are part of the game for everybody. Is this an, any indication of that, though, that whenever we, you know, often when we were judging the defense, they didn't have their best 11 guys out there. I think Scott's right. I think I think this is this very well might be their best 11 defensive players on the field together. And look what they did. Is that, you know, just the, the rotation of dudes who are kind of out here and there 
you have to be able to adapt. But also, is this a reminder that maybe when they actually had their guys, and by the way, it's the best 11 if you don't count Grant Delpit, who didn't play a snap this whole year. But is this a reminder that when they actually had the guys they thought they were going to have, they actually weren't awful. Is this a reminder of that? Not only is it a reminder of that, it's a reminder that no one on this podcast said this, but I'm, I'm speaking to Browns fans, Browns Nation right now, if you will. I don't know if anyone refers to him as that, but we've got to be easier on Joe Woods. Like he was just dealt a, a very difficult hand here. And when given the parts to implement his defense, this example shines brightest to me. I mean, you have, I, I love Scott's point about having to play a nickel corner rather than a, a nickel safety or a, a guy that like Grant Delpit in that spot, like no knock on Kevin Johnson, but there is just a difference in player there, of course. And then imagine plugging him in and then focusing on what you're trying to create up front with four. We have Olivier Vernon, Miles Garrett, and Adrian Claiborne all on the field at the same time here. That, of course, wasn't an option in the playoff game because of injury, like exactly how you set this question up, Doug. But in this week five game, you get Ronnie Harrison finally morphing into form. You get Ovi having his rep over there, anchoring the other side. Sheldon Richardson, the consummate pro. I cannot say enough about him. And then you've got your versatility on you know, the right side or over the left tackle and left guard and Claiborne and Garrett. This is exactly how Joe Woods wants to build his defense. He just didn't have the opportunity to do this that this year between injuries and the COVID list. So again, the idea, as, as you've mentioned a couple of times, there's the back seven and the look they gave with two linebackers and five DBs, but they also have three defensive ends in the game. As you said, they have Claiborne inside at three tech, you know, I guess they, they have a running back in the game, but he's out, he's out wide. And then he motions back right into the backfield. So, but they're probably, I mean, this is, you know, this was a team that ran the Colts ran the ball pretty effectively this season, but third and four, I don't know. I don't know what the stats are. We could do that. Let's do a whole podcast about third and four. How often do teams run and how often do they throw? Um, Scott Pasco could have that up in the next 38 seconds. If I challenged him to do it, <laughs> that's true. This feels like they're going to throw though. Right? So I love three defensive ends and one of them inside on a passing down like this. I would do it every time. Like I would do it every time. And like, you want to run a draw, run it, run it. Is there a reason not to do it every time? And I don't mean, again, Ohio state does it all the time, but Ohio state's playing Purdue. Why, why not do If you have three ends you trust and Claiborne to me, is like the exact right end for this, that he's not a starting end. He's your swing end. This is a way to get him an extra snap. And then Richardson can get after it too. Four-man pressure makes the world go round. This is four-man pressure because you have four guys in the game who can all get after the quarterback a little bit. Ellis, do they do that enough? Like, And, and how much should an NFL team do that? Or is there a downside to that on a third down passing down where you can overextend and get burned? See, I don't think there's a whole lot of downside when we're talking about the defensive line play where the downside comes in is where we're talking about personnel uh, in your sub package. Like, is it two linebackers? And Scott pointed out how these are the two, you know, Malcolm Smith being your coverage linebacker. Like if they were going to run here and Taki Taki's on the field, perhaps that's the difference. But that's where you I think you have to make uh, more difficult decisions on who you're putting behind those defense, those four defensive linemen when in terms of runner pass, the reason why it's just difficult to obtain in the NFL is exactly what you just laid out with Ohio state. There's just not an abundance of riches at the defensive end spot. It, you know, there are a ton of talented edge rushers in this league, 
But if every team needs two good to above average ones, do the math. The, the list gets pretty thin quickly, right? And this is exactly the issue the Browns ran into when you lose Miles Garrett for a extent of time. You lose Olivier Vernon because he's banged up. And all of a sudden, this depth that we're talking about on this one snapshot of a play no longer exists. And I will say this one last thing about deploying, we'll say, three defensive ends and one D tackle compared to a 2-2 balance. There is something, too, about – and I I understand being the stats guys we are here. We're not – this doesn't probably hold well. But I don't think we give enough credit to the emotional side of this game and the locker room side of this game and what coaches need to be able to keep their uh, authenticity to their players. Larry Ogunjobi had big – they had big plans for Larry Ogunjobi this year. They really gave him every opportunity to prove himself – and when the season was over, that just simply didn't happen. But we have to keep in mind both their commitment to Larry and him just not proving to be that player for us now to be able to say in hindsight, we should just, the Browns should just have three defensive ends out there. There, there. There's a promise there made to Larry to let him prove himself, and he just wasn't able to do that this year. That is true. It's like, hey, 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 inside guy, hey, tackle guy. Right. Pick up double teams all game. And then when it's time to get after the 40-year-old quarterback on a passing down on third down, you're coming out, Exactly. by the way. No sack for you. But thanks for taking up the double team on first and second down. Uh, I get that. Also, Scott, I love it. Like, do you, how much, Scott, how much do you love these four guys on the field together on this defensive line in this situation? Yeah, I, I, it makes a lot of sense. And I think, I was just kind of looking through some stats there. I think uh, Claiborne probably had, out of the edge rushers, he probably had the most snaps inside. He had 29 snaps alone at right defensive tackle. So that's something they like to do with him. And we saw the Browns messing around with that a couple of years ago with Jannard Avery and Miles Garrett lined up together. Um, and, you know, if, if they do, I, I don't want to set off the siren again, but if they do uh, get a certain player in here <laughs> uh, this offseason, I imagine you're going to see a lot of that. You might see J.J. Watt just become a full-time, you know, interior player, or at least get more snaps there than he, than he has on the outside. It just, it makes a lot of sense and it causes problems. And you got two guys curling around each other and stunting like, like that on the outside. Good luck. Good luck blocking it. All right. Um, Now we're going to figure out how offenses tried to attack the Browns with their personnel groupings. But first we're going to take a break. You're listening to got to watch the tape from cleveland.com. Doug, Ellis, Scott, back on G, wait, G-W-T-T. Sometimes people, when they do an abbreviation, they don't include the the as a, as a letter. So it would just be just G-W-T. But I think this the is very important to this podcast because it's got to watch the tape. So I think the two T's, just for the merchandising, our, mer- our merchandising people are listening. I think they listen. Hey, merch, both T's, okay? And I'm an extra large. I, I prefer Gwit. Can we just say Gwit? Does that, does that roll off the tongue? Is that not good? <laughs> I do not. That's why Scott Pasco was not in marketing. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why Gwit didn't catch on. I mean, Scott spent a whole, made a whole thing to promote it. Dive into Gwit. Ah, we have to have the podcast. Our numbers are plunging. Gwit's numbers are plunging. All right. Gwit. So, we like this 11, but also, Ellis, you can't just throw the 11 out there. You've got, to, you've got to match what an offense is trying to do to you. So what were offenses trying to do with their personnel packages 
against the Browns this season. What does this play tell us about that? Y'all, this is where it gets juicy. And listeners are probably like, what the heck? They just talked for 20 minutes on a, a play and they were going back and forth. And I thought that was all right. But no, this is where things get interesting. I felt like Scott Pascoe figuring these numbers out and realizing some trends and just being like, whoa, like this really has nothing to do with tape. I'm just going to talk numbers here for the next, you know, 10, 15 minutes. And you guys can, you, I'm going to have a, a an alarming question, I think, because I'm, I'm just curious when, when I saw this jump out. So like Doug said, personnel groupings, how did offenses deploy that against the Browns? So remember, I picked this play because it's an excellent example of how offenses lined up against Cleveland. Remember, the Colts are in 11 personnel on this play. According to Sharp Football Stats, stats personnel grouping, teams deployed 11 purse versus the Browns on 70% of snaps or 820 reps. Though that sounds high, it can't be that outlandish considering 11 is the most popular grouping in the league, right? We've talked about that on this podcast. Scott just did a whole pod last week on 13 purse and you know, 11 is just common. It's just, it's just how teams decide to attack offenses. Well, hold up because the league average for 11 personnel usage was 60%, meaning Cleveland's opponents put an extra receiver on the field 10% more often than the league average. In fact, the Browns led all defenses in percentage of 11 personnel faced. The next closest was Buffalo at 68%. And before I throw it to you guys, and we can break this down a little further, in 2019, the Browns defense faced 11 personnel only 56% of the time, 4% less than average, which means that's a 14% swing toward 11 person just one season. Guys, that's alarming to me, and I don't really know exactly what it means. It's just oh. those are some big percentage swings. What do you think? Man, I was hoping you would know what it means. Scott, I don't know what it means. I, that's how well, Ellis doesn't know. It's his thing. Of course I don't know. Scott, figure it out. I would say it's, well, when you're playing the Browns, and the stats, I think, probably showed this over the first half of the season, teams had more success throwing against them than they did running against them. So you're going to want more defensive backs on the field. And if you look at how many injuries the Browns had in the secondary and where the depth really fell off when you got to nickel corner and you have guys like Tavier Thomas out there or even MJ Stewart for a little bit, um, Robert Jackson, you know, guys who maybe you didn't want on the field as much. Um, and the fact that their safeties really struggled in coverage, it makes sense that you're going to want to keep a lot of those defensive backs out there. And we didn't really see the Browns run defense struggle until I think week eight when the Raiders were forced to run it because of the right. weather. And they did up to that point, it was kind of assumed that the Browns were pretty good at stopping the run because not a lot of teams had success and they didn't really have that many attempts. But I think as the season went on, it was like, well, uh, the secondary is just bad. <laughs> That's why teams are throwing so much. I think By they the way, our guy, Robert Jackson, who uh, won play of the year for defending Chase Claypool on the two-point yes. conversion, let go by the Browns like last week or two weeks ago. And I immediately like I, I got his agent's number from Mary Kay. And I was like, hey, agent, I want to write a column about how Robert Jackson just let go by the Browns. Like won our play of the year that like before he goes, that salute him. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's great. Here's set. nothing. I didn't get it. 
and I've never heard back from him. So I tried, man. I tried to get pro. But they also, the agent was also like, hey, uh, doesn't mean he's gone. Doesn't mean he's gone. Might just have been some roster maneuvering. So shout out to Robert Jackson. All right. So Scott has diagnosed it. So then, Ellis, that tells me, okay, if, if they were, if teams were taking advantage of where the Browns had some weaknesses, again, this is, I think, the number one theme of this offseason is, okay, they can fix it. I mean, that's, they had some holes on this defense, some planned by the way they spent money, some unplanned by the where they got injuries. But I think they have a chance to fix a lot of it. And Ellis, can they fix this so that this personnel grouping that's so out of whack with the rest of the league maybe won't be that way in 2021 because they'll have some corners and safeties that people aren't going to pick on as much. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Like, we have to remember the, the names we keep repeating. Someone like Grant Delpit coming in and being plugged into the lineup changes that safety room just overnight. Getting 10, 12, 14, maybe a full season out of Greedy Williams just can bump your cornerback slot coverage down a line. You know, you can you can perhaps play Terrence Mitchell in the slot if he comes back. You just have that depth where we don't have to give the play of the year to a guy like Robert Jackson because the depth will be there, right? So the problem both is solved in, like we said, Joe Woods get, having opportunity to have his players be healthy, but it's always also going to be addressed, or I would – I'd be shocked if it isn't, but it will be addressed in the draft and free agency. The way this team was aggressive offensively last year to get Kevin's fancy what he wants. I've been on the record. And I think we'd all agree that now it's Joe Woods, Andrew Barry's turn to give Joe Woods what he needs to run the defense. He dreams of. Okay. Ahead, By the way, the Browns did resign Robert Jackson. I don't know if you were, if you He's were aware. Back? They, oh. they did bring him back. So like, See, if you love something, you have to let it go. And then, you know, it was only you know, gone for like a day. Maybe that's why they didn't want to do the story. I was like, before he says goodbye, they're like, dude, it's roster maneuvering. He'll be back in an hour. And I was like, oh, it's over. Oh, the Robert Jackson era. And they were like, do you understand how football works? It's cap stuff, dude. Relax. So that's why I didn't get my story. I was going to have a parade for him. And they were like, he's in the building. He, was, he never he never left. <laughs> he was off the roster for 15 minutes. He they released him. He went to Burger King. He came back and he was a brown again, you ding dong. Sorry, I don't really know how football functions. <laughs> That's oh, too funny. That's Super Bowler bus, baby. Robert Jackson's back. That's right. Oh, headline tomorrow in the plane dealer. Thank you, Scott. I feel great. That's that's made my day. Also, it made me feel bad about myself because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> before I got in a podcast and said it's too good. Okay. So Robert Jackson, the Browns number seven corner will be back in 2021 and that will change everything. All right, Scott, uh, Alice, you said sort of, okay, Hey, this is how often they used 11 personnel Browns faced it more than any team in the league. Did it kill them? Like what, what worked? What were the personnel groupings that worked against the Browns? Yeah, guys, this is where stuff gets a little murky. It, it gets a little messy and it draws some conclusions that we both already knew and something I want to talk about at the end of the podcast. So when we look into success rates, this is really more telling than what teams were trying to do because just because you're you're doing it doesn't mean it's it's the right thing to do. That's why we dive into this data. We watch the tape. It's the point of the whole show, right? So the Browns actually did an okay job defending 11 personnel and by okay, I, I, I I mean, slightly below average uh, sharp football stats track successful play rates versus these exact groupings we're talking about. And Cleveland allowed a successful play versus 11 personnel on 51% of snaps. Now the league average was 48%. So not good, but you know, not killing them. Right. 
it, it, but here's the thing. It gets worse and it also gets more telling. So this entire pod, we've been talking about the dilemma of either playing lesser corners as the Browns were dealing with defensive back injuries or slower, quote unquote, starting linebackers, you know, deploying Sony Takitaki out there or Mac Wilson, who seems to not have a complete understanding of his cues and responsibilities as a linebacker or again, playing those guys like Doug's Robert Jackson. Well, here's here's the thing. Teams were actually more successful when forcing Cleveland to defend heavier traditional run formations. The Browns defense allowed a successful play on 61% of snaps against 21 purse. That's two running back, one tight end. The league average against 21 was just 51%. Again, that 10% discrepancy ain't what you're looking for. When using 13 purse, one running back, three tight end, teams hit a successful play 60% of the time. The league average was 44. That's a 16% difference. So, the same run-heavy, multiple tight end looks that Kevin Stefanski enjoys ambushing defense with is exactly what his defense can't defend either, despite practicing against every day. Now, that was kind of a cheap shot. I don't think just because you practice against something means you're good at stopping it. Offenses don't go into their practice plan to beat their own defense. They're both trying to accomplish their own things, but it's worth mentioning. So lastly, and some quick cleanup um, before we'll, we'll discuss this, the Browns allowed 52% success rate against 12 purse, which is a little heavier formation, but still can keep you versatile. The league average was 51. So that, you know, that's, that's fine. Uh, they were bad against, uh, four and five wide receiver sets, which isn't a shocker, but it happened so uncommonly that I didn't factor it in. But the point is this, they were below average against defending 11, which teams threw at them with an abundance, but they were actually worse with more linebackers on the field, which you could probably run back out to watch the tape in week. I don't know, eight, nine, 10, 11, pick one. And you'll find somewhere where probably Scott talked about this. So it's not shocking, but it really, I think, enforces how we need to give Joe Woods the benefit of the doubt because quite frankly in 2020 the Browns defense was damned if they do play that 4-2-5 and get beat by 11 personnel or damned if they don't and play heavier against the run and teams were carving them up anyway so we almost called this podcast I, I, no offense Scott but what just wasn't cutting it <clears throat> L-Bang L-Bang now that's hot would you listen to L-Bang L-Bang is linebackers are not good. That was almost for a stretch. While they were like maybe going to go 13 and three, it was like, welcome back to got to watch the tape for the best team in football. Let's talk about how their linebackers are terrible. We hit a stretch there, but guess what? We were right. We were right. And it was true. And Ellis, what this feels like you have just told us is that the Browns suckered teams into using 11 personnel a lot, which actually was better for them because then they didn't have all the linebackers on the field because Scott and Scott, you were all over this when they had all those linebackers on the field. Not so good. Not so good for the Browns. No. And they, they had trouble getting out and covering people and they uh, are just not a fast group. You had injuries. You had people like, uh, you know, Mac Wilson was out for a while. You had people coming back from injury and just never getting on the same page or where they needed to be. Um, one thing I want to point out about 13 personnel uh, opponents, when they passed out of that, 73% success rate, nine of 10. And surprisingly enough, that wasn't all Baltimore. It was, yeah, you know, yeah. it was a, it was a 
quite a few teams, but two touchdowns, no picks. Um, so again, you know, you're going to have those heavy, those heavy uh, offensive formations. You're going to have your three linebackers out there. And, you know, one of them is going to be Taki Taki because he's really good against the run. And although he did have a couple picks, he's not good uh, in coverage. That's not the situation you want to put him in. And, you know, you have Goodson in the middle and then maybe you have Malcolm Smith out there, but not all the time, because again, you're rotating people in. It could be, you know, it could be Mac Wilson out there who, despite seeming to have this, this background as a, as a great coverage linebacker and showing what he could do last year in the preseason, it just hasn't translated to the, to the regular season. So, you know, you, those are the guys who you're, you're having on the field with BJ Goodson a lot. And it just wasn't a good situation with the Browns. If you had multiple tight ends out there, uh, good things were going to happen for you against the Browns. And if you had multiple receivers out there at certain times this season, you know, who doesn't want their, their slot guy lined up against Tavier Thomas. That's just, that's a win. It feels like an, an Aesop fable or something like a little family of squirrels that loves to run 13 personnel offensively. But then when it comes time to defend 13 personnel, they aren't so good. And the lesson is sometimes what you know, well, you still can't stop Kevin Stefanski. So I feel like this is all leading us to a final declaration about a certain person who's part of the Browns. And we will get to that person after this on Gotta Watch the Tape. All right, we're back. So, Ellis, it's a Ronnie Harrison pick, but this is a Joe Woods podcast. What's he going to do? What's he want to do? What do the Browns need to give him so he can do it? And will it work in 2021? Right. This is about Joe Woods. What does he want to run and how can he run it? When we, re, when we look back at that play, it worked because the Browns got pressure with four. They did it in an exotic way and they did it with three defensive ends on the field. Okay, check. They're able to do that there. On the back end, they're playing, you know, safeties that they're comfortable with. We say what you want to about Sandejo. He had a nice rep here and he did his job this year. They've got Ronnie Harrison on the field. He's a building block. He's a part of this future. And they've got a slot corner that they trust there, right? And of course, Denzel Ward, Terrence Mitchell. The problem is the linebackers. This rep works because you don't ask BJ Goodson and Malcolm Smith to do a whole lot, right? This is a flash in the pan. This obviously was not the, the norm for this Browns defense. And of course, it's not the norm for any defense to get pick sixes. But even if this was an incomplete pass, that, that's not going to be the norm for this Browns defense. It's just it's not how the year went. And we had personnel groupings to, to show that earlier in the segment, which is why this podcast confirms one thing we already know and one which we weren't paying enough attention to. I don't think I'll put it that way. First, simply put, Joe Woods wants to play five, maybe even six DBs at a time. Give them that opportunity. They're, they're, they're close. They're right there. Ronnie Harrison, Delpit, Signer, draft another guy. They're, they're that close to Joe Woods getting that dream to realize. But here's the point and the more important one that I hope listeners come away with. The Browns are terrible against the exact style of offense they ran against teams. And given an offseason to figure this out, teams will do exactly that by August, considering we accomplished that in a one-hour podcast, right? They know it. There's a decent chance. If we know it, there's a decent chance they do. At least you'd hope so, or we're in the wrong field, right? So that brings me to this conclusion. The Browns must find a stud li- linebacker. They just got to 
or this issue will continue to fester. Sometimes in life, you draw a conclusion before you have the best evidence. After watching the Super Bowl, I wrote a piece on why the Browns should allocate pick 26 or move up, whatever. I don't care how you do it, but draft a first round linebacker. I, I'm obsessed with Zayvon Collins tape. And oh, I'm gonna listen. I, I know Zayvon Collins podcast. It's a Zayvon Collins podcast. I love oh. I'm here for it. I'm here for it because that is, though we talk about how they need an edge rusher, of course they do. They need defensive backs. Yes, they do. This linebacker issue is a big, big problem. It was a problem in 11 purse. And as personnel got heavier, it became a bigger problem. And you can't play defensive backs against 12 and 13 purse, 21 purse. They need to get a guy. They need to get a stud. Pick 22nd or pick 26 first round. Take care of the take care of this. And hopefully we can stop talking about how bad the Browns linebackers are, right? So, Ellis, you and I, uh, over the course of time here, we are starting to, and you probably need to go see somebody about this, we're starting to agree about too many things. Uh. And I know I, when I did my little thing of like, here's three moves, my, you know, one of my moves was draft David Collins at 26. And I said at the time, you're only going to see his name in a gazillion mock drafts. It is such a perfect fit. Everybody it says it's like you go read about him. It's like he rushes like an end and he covers like a safety. And it's like, oh, sounds good to me. But like they need a three down linebacker. They need a guy. So it's like, OK, well, Taki Taki does this and Wilson does this and Goodson does this and Smith does this. It's like I want a guy who does it all so that when they have their best 11 on the field, he's always one of them. Patrick Queen for the Ravens, I think, was picked 28 last year. Darius Leonard for the Colts was picked 36 a couple of years ago. This is the perfect spot in the draft to find a guy like this. You don't, I mean, maybe you take Devin White at five. Every now and then teams do that. His team won a Super Bowl. So people think the Bucs are geniuses. Five's too early for a linebacker. There's too right. much positional value at edge rusher, corner, quarterback. You should not be taking a linebacker at five. A linebacker at 26 that you play for the next eight years. It is so perfect, just the way Jedrick Wills was perfect at 10 last year as the second tackle off the board. It was positional availability and importance and need fitting with draft slot. It worked. It fits just as perfectly for the Browns at 26, which, of course, it's like I have a knot in my – when's the draft? Can I just give myself a knot in my stomach at the end of February about whether Zayvon Collins is going to be on the board at 26. That's where I am with this guy, which means probably, Hey, better move up to 21 and get him flip somebody an extra third round or do what you got to do. There's a, you know, they're not going to get Micah Parsons. I'm not sure they want Micah Parsons. I'm a little iffy on Micah Parsons. I think he's a edge rusher athlete. I don't know that he's a three down linebacker the same way Zayvon Collins is. It is a perfect fit of player and need and, and team. <sighs> And I didn't know that's what we were doing. I loved it. This is the great conclusion. This is like at the end of Robin Hood. This is like a 30-year-old movie reference where it's like Sean Connery rode it on the horse at the end of Robin Hood. And it was like, Sean Connery's in this? I'm like, Zayvon Collins is in this podcast? It's the cameo in the last five minutes. You can tell it wasn't in my notes, listeners. Like even Doug says, we do exchange some notes. You can tell I didn't mention his name in the, that prep. Oh, man. So, Scott, I mean, the idea of all this coming around to the idea of with all the things, yep, they could use some safety help. Yep, people are fired up about are you getting a different edge rusher to replace Vern and all that stuff. I get it. Three down linebacker for everything that Ellis just outlined here. Scott, what would that do for this defense? Oh, it would be huge. I, look, the reason people use 13 or 12 personnel is to get matchup advantages. And 
on defense, you want guys who are versatile and can combat that. And the Browns don't have that. They got DJ Goodson, who's a great tackler. They got Malcolm Smith, who's good in coverage. You know, you got Taki Taki, who's good against the run. And you got two other guys who are trying to figure things out. You have guys who are good at one thing. And like you said, you want a guy who can do a lot of things. And whether it's a linebacker or a safety, you want people who are versatile. You know, we talk a lot about them uh, needing to get more speed or more athletic, but really you need players who are multidimensional, who can do multiple things well. And, you know, a linebacker, that's great. That's definitely going to help them. A safety, maybe they got that in Grand Delphi already. But, you know, those are things that you have to put into the middle of the field to help with those situations where you do have extra tight ends on the field uh, and, and, you know, they're spreading out or they're causing situations where safeties and linebackers have to cover them because the Browns got hurt by that this year. And on this play, again, Trey Burton is the stand-up tight end on this play. He comes across the middle on that mesh and just sits down right in the middle of the field, and B.J. Goodson squats right on top of him and takes him away. It's Trey Burton. I mean, it's like, great. I mean, like, again, if that was one of the best 14 tight ends in the league, B.J. Goodson's not going to be able to squat on that like that. And then that's, okay, someone's got to deal with Travis Kelsey, right? Somebody's got to deal with Mark Andrews. You know, like you're, you're going to get into a situation where that's not that's not good enough when you're trying to play a certain kind of team. And so that but but Ellis, in the end, if OK, so Joe Woods needs his dudes. OK, if you and there's probably another piece or two. And I know, again, J.J. Watt watch is on. If you give Joe Woods, Grant Delpit and Zaven Collins. What does this defense look like in 2021 and how close do we get to what Joe Woods wants to do? Yeah, I wrote it right after the Super Bowl. When you lay it out like that and you put it on paper, all of a sudden this defense that doesn't have that impressive of a sack rate numbers, doesn't have impressive success rates against uh, 11, 21, 12 or 13 a year ago, all of a sudden don't they sound like a, 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 top end defense like top half at least and then flirting with maybe top 12 uh, I mean you plug in JJ Watt you you get Delpit back you all of a sudden and then get that three down linebacker like Scott saying that it's is versatile you don't need to be you don't need to guess on situation you can just be confident with who's out there all of a sudden you're solving a lot of problems that plagued you a year ago and sometimes in this league we are just a year too early declaring stuff and it does take a season to to truly get to that form. But man, on paper, they would really be set up well with both players that are productive on the field, assuming health. And then just cap wise, you're not strapped. You're not really all worried, all that worried about it besides Miles Garrett. And he deserves that money. He's worth every penny. All right, I, I'll trade into the top 10 to get Zayman Collins. I'll give up next year's first. What, what do we got to do to make this to make this happen? I, it's It's the worst thing, right? When it's like, hey, the team's picking at 26 and it's like, there's one guy. Yeah. That's the guy. Cause there's that. I, I can't remember the guy's name. I think there's a guy from Missouri, maybe or whatever, who maybe Nick fits, Bolton. Yeah. Nick Bolton. That's maybe in the range. Right. I mean, it feels like there's Parsons and the Notre Dame kid who might be the top two linebackers and then Zayvon Collins. And again, 70% of the mock drafts out there have him getting to, you know, being there at 26 and the Browns taking him, but man, that, Ellis, that's a tough spot to be in, you know? Yeah, Doug, can I, I'll ask you this because you, you seem to be on the, the Zavin bandwagon with me. And, and I know you wrote that piece before me, so you were on this first. Um, 
Isn't it seem a little fishy that he'd be there at 26? Like, what's the knock on this kid? Like, freakish athlete. He played at Tulsa, yet he was up for, like, one defensive player of the year. His film is just freakish. It, it feels too good to be true that the, that kind of athlete's just going to drop to 26. If he would have played it, 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 in power, a Power 5 conference, he's a top 15 pick, right? And, feels and that this, way, at least. This is not a draft podcast right now, but <laughs> – but I mean, this is one. Uh, this is this is how it's supposed to work. Again, I'd like to offer a reminder every now and then to Browns fans: everything happening with the Browns on a daily basis right now is how it's supposed to work. It doesn't mean everything is going to be perfect, but this is what competent franchise stewardship looks like. Because you know why he might drop? Because people are taking receivers. Because people are taking edge rushers because teams who don't have quarterbacks are going bonkers. There's probably going to be five quarterbacks taken in before 26 and the Browns just don't, aren't thinking that way. You know, they don't, they're not taking a quarterback. They don't, I mean, if an edge rusher's there, okay. They don't need a tackle, you know, a corner, if the right guy's there, but, but then you can take, and again, you can't draft on need. You got to take good players and make it all fit together. But when it, when the good player fits the need, that's how it happens because there's all these teams because somebody's going, oh, man, we got to block Miles Garrett. We got to reach for this tackle at 23. And the Browns are like, we're, we're, our tackles are set for the next six years. We don't need a tackle. So let that beautiful linebacker slide to us. And that's how good teams stay good. So, I, yes, Ellis, you're right. But I don't think it's impossible. But also, give me a little wiggle that gets you to 22 to lock it down, and I'm all in for that. Scott, yeah, that, go ahead. The, real quick, I was just say that makes a whole lot of sense. And, and Scott, I just was going to say, if the Browns do land Zayvon Collins, it sounds like me and you got to prepare for a, a month long streak of Zayvon Collins deep dives. Right? This is just going to be Zayvon Collins week for Doug. Just so, so we'll keep the host happy doing Zayvon Collins deep dives for a month. Yeah, after the next uh, after the, after free agency and the draft, there's going to be a lot of deep dives of what can this team be, and it's going to be uh, a little more exciting than than it was last season for sure. G W T Z, gotta watch the Zayman. <laughs> oh, that's it. I know when you get this jacked up about stuff. Oh, by the way, this is how jacked up I was about Andrew Thomas a year ago. I was like, oh, Andrew Thomas falls to 10. It was like he was a first tackle off the board and he was terrible. Um, but they got a, the Browns got a guy who's pretty good. So, okay. Well, but you can see how it fits. Again, this is a lot of stuff fitting together where look, when they had their dudes, look how good it could be. So imagine them getting even better dudes, having their 11 guys they want on defense and letting Joe Woods go to work. I think that is another thing. We don't want Zavin to overwhelm this version of Gotta Watch the Tape, but I think, Ellis, the thing you said, it's a reminder, just let Joe Woods do some work here. Give him a year, man. Give him a little bit of a, a more normal year, a little bit of a healthier year, a year with a couple more of guys that he really likes in a defense, and watch what this defensive coordinator might be able to do. All right, I liked it. My blood pressure went up with the Zabin talk, but, you know, that's the price you pay for being on Gotta Watch the Tape. So uh, thanks to Ellis for that great dive. Thanks to Scott for his wonderful work. We'll be back next week with Scott Patsko picking out another play. We're using 2020 to learn about 2021. For Scott and Ellis, I'm Doug. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.